0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one astonishing page of Talmud each day. And today's pages, Gittin 80 and 81, bring us something that is, um, well, heaviless. The Mishnah now discusses another case. A scribe wrote a bill of divorce for a man so that the man could divorce his wife with it. And he wrote a receipt for the woman for her to give to her husband upon receiving payment of her marriage contract, verifying that she received the payment. And the scribe erred and gave the bill of divorce to the woman and the receipt to the man. And not knowing what was written in the documents that were in their possession, they gave what they received from the scribe to each other. The woman gave her husband a bill of divorce, and the husband gave his wife a receipt, and consequently there was no divorce at all. And after some time, the bill of divorce is in the possession of the man, and the receipt is in the possession of the woman, and they discovered that the divorce never actually transpired. If the woman had remarried another man, she must leave this, the first husband, and that, the second husband. This, when reading it, sounded like one of those incredible comedy of errors, the type of thing that you expect to see taking place in fair Verona, the type of thing Shakespeare would have written. So I got on the phone and called this podcast and, you know, the world's resident Shakespeare expert, Yeshiva University's Dr. Shana Trapita. Welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Liel, for having me. Your Shakespeare censors are totally right to tingle here. So Shakespeare had over a hundred references to letters and documents dispatched and received in all of his plays. And the consequences really range from the utterly romantic to the devastatingly tragic. And so a lot of times people will look at the letters and they'll just say, Oh, these are really convenient plot devices. It was supposed to be delivered to one person, it's delivered to another person, and it's just there to either create create conflict and escalate a drama or to kind of conveniently tie up loose ends. So there's actually a really wonderful book on this if you want to learn more about Alan Stewart, about Shakespeare's letters, but he makes the case that it's much more than a plot device. And in fact, that if we really took the time to think about what goes into the mechanics of writing and sending a letter in Shakespeare's day, it was never really just about two people. There was It was never private correspondence. You had to have the writer and the sender and the oftentimes the recipient wasn't literate. They had to have it read to them out loud. Just the materials that were required, there's so much that goes into that. So you mentioned Fair Verona, and I think that's a really great place to start because... Most of us know that Romeo and Juliet meet at the Capulets' ball, but how on earth did a Montague end up at an invitation-only event of his sworn enemy? And the answer is an illiterate letter carrier. So the servant who's sent by the Capulets is wandering around Verona, trying to deliver these letters, and he runs into Romeo, and based on his dress assumes he's a noble and says, do you know how to read? And after giving him a bit of a hard time, Romeo says, yes, I do. And then he reads the list of invitees. And he sees that his fair Rosalind is on the list. And so, because of this carrier who is not able to execute his charge well, Romeo gets the idea gate crash the party and of course he ends up falling in love with Julia and the rest as they say is dramatic literature so more uh, misbegotten letters we have of course the sealed letters and the bonds in the merchant of Venice we have in King Lear the messengers themselves are really held accountable for not responsibly reading, delivering mediating the messages that they're carrying, really complicated and of course Rosencrantz and Guildenstern end up Dead because Hamlet discovers that they're carrying a commission from his stepfather, the King of Denmark, to deliver to the King of England when everybody arrives in England, Hamlet in hand. And the plan is that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are going to deliver Hamlet to the King of England. They're going to hand over this document and his head will immediately be struck off. Now, Hamlet. Unseals and intercepts this letter. He rewrites or forges his own letter. Conveniently, has his father's seal on him, so he reseals the letter, hands it right back to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who then are the bearers, literally, of their own death certificate. They show up in England, don't know what's in it. They hand it to the king, and the instruction is that they should be put to death without any discussion. But. I think my favorite moment of Missives Gone Amiss in Shakespeare is really in uh, Much Ado About Nothing. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a comic uh, moment as I thought maybe you'd want to hear. So, in short, it's been a while. Uh, the very witty and prideful and ultimately perfect for each other pair, Beatrice and Benedict, spend the first couple of acts exchanging barbs, swearing off love, denying that either feels anything for the other other than loathing, and then almost pulling a page from Midrash. We have this beautiful story about Aaron, the high priest, who was responsible for bringing peace to the Jewish people and the way that he ended conflict when two people were upset with each other. he would go to one and say to the first person, you know, so-and-so really is upset, they really want to resolve the issue, they really feel bad about it and then he'd of course go to the other person and tell the same situation, the other person also really is just too embarrassed to come to you but feels that they would like to you know, be in your good graces again and then when the two people would come together it would be as if the most difficult part of reconciliation was already wrought and this would bring about peace between the two so the way that Shakespeare has these two belligerent the individuals brought together so Shakespeare has Beatrice's friends make sure that she overhears a conversation where they're talking about how much Benedict loves Beatrice but will never tell her and then Benedict's friends do the exact same thing so ultimately Benedict and Beatrice are brought together without getting into the weeds there's a falling out so here's where that's interesting At the end of the play, they both say that they are never going to love the other. But Benedict's friend pulls letters out of his pocket, and he goes, but here's a letter. It's a sonnet that Benedict wrote from his own brain to Beatrice." saying how much he loves her. And the same for Beatrice. Her friends pull out here from my cousin's hand, stolen from her pocket, is a letter about how much she loves Benedict. And the line that gets us is Benedict says, a miracle Here's our own hands against our hearts. And I think Shakespeare is not being facetious here. I think the space between our head and our heart can really be vast. And sometimes getting the two to align really requires a miracle. So the fact that the Talmud gives serious attention to something that seems like folly, twice actually, because this scenario is something that we encountered earlier in Yombovos 91b. But in that context, we're talking about what happens if a woman remarries and her husband is uh, still alive. So... In this case... What's difficult, I think, for us to think about is the material and the physical aspects that go into writing and sending documents today. Today, we tap an email. There are some keystrokes some digital renderings. It's some binary code. We don't really think about it so much. And we give less and less thought to the communication fibers that really hold together our relationships. And they are so easily severed. You can tell ChatGPT to write an original sonnet to someone you love, and you'll have it in under a minute. But if we think about the writing technologies today and how much they've skewed our ability to understand the effort that would have been necessary to end a marriage and the process of getting a get, that both parties have to be present. Both people have to be acknowledging it. There has to be physical exchange, one between the next. I think that that's calling our attention to something that's really incredibly powerful about how our hands and our hearts really need to be aligned. So Shakespeare explores this and the possibilities and the obstacles between relationships in all of his plays, and I think what Rabbi Elazer comes to tell us at the end of this scenario and how he resolves it, is he says, well, what do we do? It really depends on how soon this mistake, this kind of comic error, is discovered. He says, if it's discovered right away, then the divorce is invalid, it needs to be redone. But if it's discovered at a later point, it's possible that there's some kind of conspiracy operating here, that there's been a change of heart. Maybe the first husband wants to do something to kind of undermine his wife now that she's in a second marriage. And so he says, then we have to give validity because the second husband shouldn't be disadvantaged because of the first husband's change of heart. So ultimately, what I walk away from this is thinking that, you know, we know the phrase all's well, that ends well. And I think at best, that's an oversimplification. Rather, the Talmud teaches us time and again, that all's well when we intend and we attend well to others and we treat our obligations and our communications with the utmost care.
0: So think before you hit send next time. (laughs) Dr. Shanna Tripito, thank you so much for this absolutely fascinating lesson.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks,
0: Leal. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you're going to enjoy our brand new Take One newsletter even more. Each week, you'll get an extra shot of Talmudic wisdom straight to your inbox. And for those who sign up before Tractate Gittin ends, we'll be raffling off some Take One swag. So make sure to subscribe at tabletm.ag Take One Newsletter. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And you could get your Take One t-shirts, mugs, and other amazing form of swag at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday covering the entire weekly portion of Duff Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Libowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Gross, Robert Carmucha Courtney Hazelt, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at take one Dafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.